0: and ida Hanya ni duhenyu welcome 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 to the 10th episode of the naturally ever after podcast my name is Nidia Guiti and by profession I'm a licensed clinical social worker in this podcast I share ways to overcome emotional barriers and obtaining our beauty I firmly believe that mindset and perspective shifts how we think and feel about ourselves So welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. I'm so excited to be recording this 10th episode. Yes, you heard that correctly. 10, one and zero. I am just so thrilled to be um, recording again. In the month of August, there was not a podcast and there was so much to celebrate in the month of August, but very minimal time for me when it came to recording. So on August 13th, is when Your Natural Hairapist was created, which is the first name of my brand. Um, And it it shifted to Miss Gwiti, LCSW, LLC, because Your Natural Hairapist, as a phrase on its own, couldn't be trademarked. Um, Or I had difficulties trademarking it, so I just let it go altogether. And from that journey and that process is where... um, naturally ever after was born. So I was I, I was reviewing my Zoom account. You know how like you pay for it when you need it and then you <laughs> you cancel your subscription when you stop using it. So I um I paid for the Zoom the I paid for the Zoom plan where you can do like recordings and also like stream live on Facebook. And when I first started your natural hair this was back in 2017. In 2018, I started doing live events and webinars. And as I'm cleaning my account, I saw that I had a free webinar that I did on September 24th of 2018 where I give a reflection on the movie um, Napoli Ever After. Now, if you have not seen the movie or if it's something that you want to watch, I encourage you to pause this recording right now, go watch the movie and then come back. Or if you've already seen it, then I think that this will be an entertaining um, podcast webinar situation to listen to because as I'm listening to it now, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> it's just it, it. so much came up for me when I was watching the Napoli Ever After movie. It premiered on Netflix in 2018, and the leading role was played by Sanaa Lathan. Now, if you are like me and you are a reader, any movie any book that you read that turns into a movie the movie is not nearly as good as the book period i don't care what you, i don't care what anybody has to say fight me the book is always better than the movie however i will say that there was the movie overall did have like some you know corny cheesy parts to it but i think that considering considering the storyline and the way the the movie was made I think that the movie did a really good job at highlighting certain things about the natural hair journey, but also including um, other types of hair loss that have nothing to do with chemically straightening your hair. So what I'm going to do now is just play the webinar. And of course, I'm going to make some edits to make it a little bit shorter because it was an hour long webinar. Um, I hope that you enjoy this this podcast slash webinar recording, and I will see y'all in two weeks. For the people that are joining in, thank you so much for joining. Um, my name is Nidia Gwiti and I am the creator of Your Natural Herapist and Your Natural Herapist is an online destination to provide emotional support to black women and in in feeling confident in obtaining Feeling confident in overcoming, excuse me, barriers to obtaining outward beauty. And as a result of what I do as a therapist, women feel more confident being their true and authentic selves as it relates specifically to their natural hair. So today's webinar, we're going to be recapping um, the movie Napoli Ever After starring Sanaa Lathan. And we're also going to explore, we're going to explore in this webinar, the what's next syndrome and how social and how socialization affects mental health in black women. So... Who am I? I know I already said that I'm your natural therapist, but just a little bit of background information on me outside of that. By profession, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've been licensed for the past like seven years now, and I work full-time at an outpatient mental health clinic working with clients who come in to see their doctors for primary care, in the primary healthcare setting when clients come to see the doctor. So it could either be like their doctor, the um, physician's assistant, or just a nurse practitioner. as far as like my cultural background, I'm black. <laughs> I'm very black. Um, but my ancestry is Garifuna. So Garifuna is a combination of Arawak, African, and Carib Indians. And the Garifuna community is based a lot in Central America. So Honduras, which is where my family is from, Guatemala, Nicaragua, um, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And I also identify as Afro-Latina. So why is that significant? For me, it is, and I I like to use the term, um, the Black diaspora, as opposed to just only African-American, because there is a Black population, a Black, uh, there are descendants of Africans um, that are represented in other parts of the world that do not include the United States. So when people make, um, when people use the term African-American as someone who is a descendant from, or someone who, the best way to phrase it? Someone who is a child of an immigrant. Let me just put it like that. Child of an immigrant who my history is not rooted specifically in the United States. It's not really inclusive to use a term like African-American. So in this presentation, I'm going to use the black diaspora or just the black community. And that's in, that's encompassed and include all black people. And I've been natural since 2007 My last relaxer was in November 2007, so my hair is straight now because I got a a a trim last week Thursday. But in this picture is what I look like on the regular basis. So today is more like an exception. And then, like I mentioned, I'm the creator of Your Natural Therapist, and I created Your Natural Therapist in 2017 after um, attending the Black Therapist Rock Conference because I felt like there wasn't an online space to talk about the emotional stressors that Black women face when they're transitioning to natural hair and not only transitioning, but also maintaining natural hair. Like, well, what am I supposed to look like when I'm at work? What am I supposed to look like when I'm with my friends? Or what am I supposed to look like when I just feel like it? And also processing that emotional, that emotional piece when the people around you that are, you know, your friends, your loved ones, your boo, and it's like, uh, I don't like this version of you. But then the reality is, well, you know, this girl's out of my scalp and I can't change that. So you're either going to love me as is. And if not, this is what I need to do for myself because I confer. So that that's the basis of your natural fist. and providing webinars like this, um, live events and, and platforms so that we can continue to have this conversation. Okay, so what exactly will we cover today? So today we're going to talk about the movie Napoli Ever After, like I mentioned, or Napoli Ever After. We're going to talk about the book for those that have read the book or listened to the audiobook and also the movie and the distinction between the two. We're going to talk about what's next syndrome. We're going to talk about three lies that society teaches us about happiness. And this webinar is going to be specific to black women, but I think that this can be applicable to all people, men included. Um, and we're also going to talk about how, how we can potentially change this narrative. And then at the end of this webinar, I'm going to announce the winner, of the 10 free hair products. Thank you so much to everyone that has joined in. Like last night I was getting notification after notification. I'm like, free hair products is a great incentive. I'm definitely gonna do that a little more often. <laughs> so let's talk about the actual book and the movie. Okay, so Finale then featured is the is the leading or the main character, Violet Jones, in the movie. But this movie is actually based from an eight series book. Um, or eight eight book series. So the the author of this book is Trisha R. Thompson, and we're going to talk about that, the first book of the series, but this book series goes into multiple things. So like, um, Would I Lie to You, Napoli Married, Napoli Faithful, Napoli in Bloom, Unnapoli in Love, Napoli About Us, Napoli Entangled, and then Postcards from Venus. So like, there's a lot of books that come to this. And I know that before this movie came out, I made it my business to download the audiobook just so that I can get some context about the story. Because one of the things, so I remember like the first book that I read that I saw the movie after and was just kind of like, that changed everything for me. Because when you're reading the actual book, the movie could never compare. Or if you're just watching the movie and you've never read the book, there's a lot of missing pieces that the movie won't fill. And the first book that I read that I can remember, um, the first book I read in English that I can remember a movie coming out um, was Waiting to Exhale. Now I had no business reading that book when it came out. (laughs) It was probably like, I don't know, 12, but I read the book. And then when I remember when the movie came out, I was just kind of like, this is missing a lot of stuff. So I feel like after, after listening to the audiobook of, Nav- of Napoli Ever After, that's what watching the movie was like for me. So I just kind of want to highlight the differences between the two and then kind of talk about that. So let me just check the chat to see. All right. So, so Shauna agrees, right? It is very different. It is very different. And watching the movie by itself without reading the book, like some of the things just seem like really, really exaggerated. So let's talk about that. Okay, so in the book, the main character, her name is Venus Johnson, and the book is based in Washington, D.C., sometime around, like, the late 90s. So already, like, the context and the place is just very different. So in the book, um, Venus cuts her hair before breaking up with, um, what's his name, Clint. So they were still together when she cut her hair in the book. And it was just something that she, she, she had already been thinking about doing it, And um, it was willingly like there's a there's a scene in the book where she's at the shop. And she's asking her hairstylist, which is a woman in the book, to cut her hair. And the hairstylist is the one that's kind of like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, your hair is so pretty. You've had it for so long. Like, maybe we could do a bob instead of a full cut. And Venus is the one pushing, like, look, I just want you to cut it. I feel like, you know, this is a big distraction for me. And I've been thinking about this for some time. Now, I don't know if you've been like this, but I know, like, when I go get my hair done, more so my stylist here in Atlanta. He hesitates to cut more hair than what I asked. And for me, it's like, it's just hair. It's going to grow back. And I'm not a fan of holding on to split ends. So it's like, look, just snip, snip. Because like, sometimes like, when I feel my ends, even after a haircut, I feel like more could have been cut. So I can, I can align with Venus in this sense, where it's like, you know, just let go of the hair. But in the book, she willingly cuts off her hair while she's still in a relationship with Clint, um, which is very different from the way it was portrayed in the movie. Um, Also in the book, Venus lives in D.C. and her parents live in California. So like her parents are still together. There's no indication that they're separated or about to. So her mother is not as involved in her life as she is in the movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then in the book, Venus's friends play a huge role in supporting in supporting her and her healing when she breaks up with Clint and like kind of exploring, well, what is it like to be single in your thirties and what would marriage look like? What would, you know, your new career look like? What would potentially having children look like when there's no, um, potential suitor or like a suitor that's ready and available to jump the broom in the way that you are. So in the book, The main character is Violet Jones and is based in Atlanta. Everything's in in Atlanta these days. Wakanda forever. (laughs) So let me go read the comments real quick. So Amanda said, yes, for some reason, the hairstylist is more attached to your hair than you are as a person. That drove me insane as well. Right. So in the movie, Violet cuts her hair after the breakup with Clint, which kind of came off like tragic. Like, you know, well... And I think that that's a misconception when women do something drastic, especially black women, when black women do something drastic to their hair, it's just like, you know, well, what happened to you? Like who made you mad? And it's just kind of like, most times it's just a hairstyle. I want something different. Or, you know, if you're like me, cause I was actually talking to my hairstylist on Thursday when I got my hair trimmed, I'm like, you know, once I reach a certain length, I'm so ready to cut this off because what I spend on hair products is a little ridiculous. Like, Hence why I'm doing this giveaway, because there's no reason for me to have like over 80 hair products in my house when I don't have kids. Um, and I'm the only one doing my hair here. So there's no reason to have all of that. So anyway, enough about me. <laughs> Y'all laughing, but I'm being so serious because length is value. Uh, I don't. Well, Shauna said length is value. I think that length means that you're going to stay in business. Because if I cut my hair, a bottle of shampoo is going to last me what? two months. Whereas if I don't, a bottle of shampoo is what, two uses or conditioner would last me a long time as opposed to a, a bottle of deep conditioner per wash. So there is value in it, but I see it more as an expense, but like, that's just me. So in the movie, Violet cutting her hair is viewed as, you know, something tragic. Like she's fed up after a night of dating this white dude that kind of went left. And it's just like, <sighs> and she just cuts it off, all off to the point that she's surprised when she wakes up and doesn't even realize that she cut off her hair. So in the book, the cut was willingly. In the movie, it was like a tragic event. Also in the movie, her mom was overly involved. I don't know about you, but I was annoyed by her. Put, put number two, put the number two in the comments. If you were like uh, side eyeing her mom and it's just like, why are you being so dramatic? Like I think that she was overly involved and very, very present in in Violet's life. And I don't think it was bad that she was present in her life, but I think the context in which she was present can be overbearing. And as that relates to behavioral health, as a woman or women who are in their 30s, who are single, who are not married, and have this pressure, and a lot of times that comes from from the mom to be married. And, you know what that means and what that looks like or what that mean and what it will potentially look like if it doesn't happen so i definitely saw that there so i see a lot of number twos <laughs> amanda dragged the number two in the comments um and also in the movie one thing that i noticed is that the friends be um venus violet's friends like depth and like there was no storyline so like in the book i can't remember violet's um best friend or venus's best friend But she does have a girlfriend who does have kids who encourages her to stay single because there's a freedom that comes in your singleness that you don't have. Once you have family, once you have a husband or a wife or just children, like I believe in individuality, regardless of whether or not you're single, but when you are completely single and you don't have, um, I guess that home base or that anchor at home, you have a lot of freedom to just do more of what you want. Um, so I think that in the movie, the friends didn't have that storyline to kind of back up um, Venus's healing process and also her struggle. Because it just fe- it seemed like they agreed with a lot of what she said and didn't really confront her as much. But again, it's a movie, so it was just meant to be that way. So Michelle says she plays evil mom so well. Yes, she does. She really does. I think that. I mean, and we'll get to this. I feel like Venus's mom represents a lot of Black mothers in how they push um, what they want to their daughters without ever exploring what it is that their daughter wants for themselves. So it's like, you know, passing on that legacy, passing on that legacy burden of, you know, I want, I wish I would have done this for myself, but because I didn't, my hope is that you do. And then the subliminal messages that mothers send to their daughters about what success looks like what beauty looks like and what happening, and what happiness looks like okay so all right i'm just checking the comments so that i stay on task so two things that i absolutely loved about the movie so amanda said that was my mom on tv okay <laughs> we're not going to talk about auntie vicky right now <laughs> Shout out to her if she's watching this on the replay. So two things that I absolutely loved about the movie that were not included in the book, number one, is inclusion of hair loss related to medical conditions like cancer. So all cancers, lung cancer, breast cancer, or in this movie specifically, it was breast cancer, Um, but cancer in general, alopecia and lupus. So when we think about the natural hair movement, the, the narrative is always, you know, well, Stop relaxing your hair, like stop hating yourself or, you know, um, embrace your natural beauty, embrace yourself. But sometimes hair loss is not has nothing to do with the relaxer that you put on your hair. It has nothing to do with the texturizer that went left it has nothing to do. Like even in the movie, when Violet went to the hair salon and by accident, they wash her hair with a relaxer. Sometimes that's not the narrative of why your hair fell out. Sometimes it could be a medical condition completely outside of your control where your hair falls out. And one of the things that I loved in the scene in the movie where where Violet goes to the um the support group for women that or survivors of breast cancer is that the woman that didn't have hair told her, "Well, no wonder you know people are passing you by cuz you need to own your look." And it's like I remember watching the scene in the movie and I sat up like, "Yeah, you need to own it with confidence. It does not matter if your hair it's straight in the way that I'm wearing it right now. It doesn't matter if your hair is kinky. It doesn't matter if you choose to wear it curly. It doesn't matter if you have your your um, your um side shaved off. It doesn't matter if you have locks. It doesn't matter your hair texture. What matters is how you feel and how you show up in the world, regardless of what your hairstyle looks like. Because people can smell confidence from a mile away. You can tell who's the shy one in the room, who's sitting, you know, with their shoulders shrugged, not really making eye contact with other people. And you can tell... Who's that? Who's that boss? <laughs> when she walks up, when she walks in the room, and her presence is felt, you can tell that a woman is confident about herself, and it does not it has nothing to do with her hairstyle. And I love how that transition shows in the movie how Violet was not confident at first, and kind of just you know like, oh my gosh, I don't have any hair to like, you know, I'm here, I have arrived. So I love that part in the movie that that part was highlighted. So let me just read the comments or moms do the exact opposite of their mom and still not asking what their daughter wants. OK, so that's one part um, as it relates to mom. So this is before this point about what I loved about the movie. And then Shauna said that that was a great scene. I think so, too. I think so, too, because we can't we can't only folk, we when we talk about natural hair, it's not only it's more than just hair. For black women, it's always more than just hair. It's like it's, hair is not important, but it is. So more than just hair. Sometimes it's just a medical, not just, but a medical condition that, you know, kind of just came into your life and now you have to deal with it. But it doesn't mean that you're not beautiful. It doesn't mean that you still can't have confidence in spite of this condition or this diagnosis. Another thing that I loved about the movie was the shift in the maternal message of natural hair between generations. So the mother, I can't even think of her name, but the mom... The mom's message um, was a little harsh. But when we think about natural hair and feeling confident, especially when, we get these, especially when we get messages from our mothers, or in this case, our moms, we have to take into consideration that the message that we have is based on when they received it. So it's not that it's wrong and it's not that it's right. It's dated. It's just really, really old. So you have the mom, you know, with her laid wig, very polished, very poised, very proper. And then you have Violet where she, she, the way that she moves in the world is everything that her mom has taught her. But the thing about the millennial woman is that we are now, we're doing things, we're doing a lot of things that our moms and our grandmothers never had the opportunity to do because of the culture in which they grew up with. So like they grew up in, so like working being a professional woman and, and having your own. That's very, very different from the way that it was just 60 years ago. Because to be a professional woman in your 30s, it's not, it's not it's not the life that, I know for me, it's not the life that my grandmother lived in her 30s. Like in my 30s as a single woman with no children, if you compare that to just my grandmother, one generation before me, my grandmother in her 30s probably already had like, what, seven kids? She never went to college. Um, She was married young. Her job was to raise her children and to maintain her household. My life is drastically different from that. And it's not to say that my life is better. It's just different. So when she, if my grandmother were to make, um, were to look at me or even make a comment about where I am in life, it's like, you know, this is foreign to her. This is completely foreign. So I think that it's important for us to be gentle to the people that may, necess- may say something about the way we live our lives as millennial women for the millennial women that i have in the in the in this webinar and it's not to say that what they're saying is wrong although it, it may come off harsh and it may you know sting a little bit just know that their their reference point is dated and that's that's the basis that they're coming from so we have the mom and her her reference point and then we have violet And her reference point, and I love the shift in how she's changing and looking at, you know, well, I can be beautiful. I can be confident and not tie all of my beauty to my hair. And then how she shares that message with the hairstylist's daughter. And I felt like to me that was so beautiful and it was so powerful to see because it's more than just hair as how we see it, but also the message that we're sending to little girls across the world across the Black diaspora, because we can make comments about our own here, but just know that someone is always watching you. And that someone is not always your your daughter directly, but just the little girls that are in your circle. So um, my nieces, or my goddaughter even, Livy and I talk often um, on FaceTime, and I have to be mindful of how I speak about myself and the things that I say, because she's gonna pick up on it. Like my niece now, Izzy, she's only six months, but, You know, when she's old enough to understand things, it's important to be mindful of what we share around our children, especially little girls, so that they don't they don't internalize dated messages. They don't internalize, you know, what my grandmother believes about natural hair, what my grandmother believes about marriage, because I'm I'm still saying these things out loud. So I just love those are the two main things that I loved about the movie. So I'm going to just read the comments real quick. So Amanda said, absolutely. Jefflyn said, confidence is super important, but self-love is what pushes that kind of self-confidence. Right. Um, Shauna said, it is about redefining beauty generationally. Yes. That needs to be in bold, flashing lights. <laughs> thank you for that. It's amazing to take the time out. Um, and then Deirdre said, I love the bond that her, thank you, and Zoe. So it was Zoe. Her name is Zoe. I love the bond that Violet and Zoe developed together. Um, Also too, like just as a maternal message, one of the other things, I didn't put this on the slide, but I just want to talk about it. You don't have to be someone's biological mother to be an influence in a little girl's life. And I think that this movie highlighted that a lot. Um, Women that don't have children and kind of just taking it back to medical conditions. Sometimes women can't have children. But it doesn't mean that you can't have that maternal influence on another child, on a on a little girl. So I think that that bond was so beautiful in the movie. So let's talk about what's next syndrome, because this came up in the, in the movie a lot. So Venus is successful. She's been in this two-year relationship. I didn't mention this early on, like the distinction between the book and the movie. So in the book, Venus Johnston was in a relationship with Clint for five years. So In the book, it's five years that she was in this relationship, and in the movie, it's two years. So Venus is, you know, why keep saying Venus? So Venus in the book, Violet in the movie. So Violet is like, look, I've been with this dude for two years. Um, He's a doctor. I'm doing well in my career. What's next is that I need to get married. What's next is that I need to have kids. Like, where I'm at in this point in my, my life, I need to do this next. So I was looking online while I'm creating this webinar, and I'm like, I know I said what's next syndrome. I don't know where that came from, but I just thought about it. And I'm just like, well, let me find the definition. And I'm looking, 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 and there's no said definition for what's next syndrome. So based on what I did read about syndrome and what's next, I created this definition. And I want to share this with you all. So I define what's next syndrome as symptoms and behaviors consistent with preoccupation of life events that take place in a, in a specific sequence. So what does that mean? So, you know, you go to kindergarten and then from kindergarten is first grade and then from middle school is high school and from high school traditionally is college or if it's not college is the military or starting your own business. But then after you reach a certain level of success, whatever success means for you, then at some point is, you know, are you in a relationship? And, you know, after you're in this said relationship for, um, I don't know, amount of time is when are you getting married? And then after you get married, when are you having kids? And, you know, when your kids grow up, when are you getting married? When are you having kids? And then so forth and so forth and so forth. But when things don't happen in a specific sequence, that's where the conflict arises. Then it's like, well, you, you're itching to do what's next. But I, I like to, you know, pause a little bit and let's let's talk about, well, are you in a space to receive what's next? And I think that in this movie, Venus was pushing for marriage. Um, and I would say overreacted because it sounds like in the two years that they were together, marriage never came up. So to break up abruptly because, you know, she got a puppy for her birthday instead of a ring when that conversation wasn't there. And I think that that's the gap that comes up a lot Um Not only in the movie, but I would even question, I would even encourage you all to just explore your circles. Communication is the biggest breakdown in all kinds of relationships. Not only intimate relationships, but even friendships. Whereas like, you know, someone misunderstood what your expectation of of, um, the nature of your relationship was. And somewhere in that communication breakdown, your expectations were not met because it was never communicated to the other person what it was that you wanted in the first place. So I definitely saw that in the movie. And then Venus, I think I've misplaced my slides, but anyway, so Venus is externalizing her happiness in a lot of ways. First is her looks. You know, I, I look pretty and this is, this is what makes me me or in that, in that point of the movie. I want to be married and I'm gonna be happy when that happens. I need to have children because I'm in the space in my life where I have to have children. And then when I saw that, I'm just kind of like this notion of externalizing happiness and I will be happy when is very real, not only in the movie, but in life, because I see that a lot. Like, um, you know, well, I'm at this point in my life and I need to be doing this. And it's like, well, according to who? According to who said, I want to know who said that this needed to happen in this sequence and in and, and in this order for for it to be justified that you live a happy life or these things need to happen in this sequence so that it's validated that you're happy. Like who said that? I want to know. And when y'all find this person, please write it in the comments so that we can share this with the world. Because it seems to be that if you're not doing things in a specific way, it's almost like your level of happiness in life is minimized because you haven't reached that milestone. So I want to define happiness. And The the words that I found online when I was looking at what specifically is happiness, is the state of being content or contentment, is experiencing pleasure, is experiencing satisfaction. And these are all things in whatever it is that you're doing, because happiness is an act, it's a state of being, Um, a state of cheerfulness, is a state of well-being, being happy with what you have, where you are in the moment that you have it. Come on Slides. not today We're doing so well All right. so while this unfreezes I'm going to read what's in the comments Okay So Shauna said when you're going for that Promotion um, Jessalyn said we never let our Present marinate We never let our present marinate We're so used to moving forward And that's actually a good thing It's great to move forward it's great to always have something to look forward to. Now, that becomes the issue when you're constantly looking too far ahead and you can't see what's in front of you. Because the reality is that we're all dying. <laughs> as harsh as that is, we're all dying. And tomorrow's not promised. So as much as some people may focus on, you know, the future, it's like, how do you know who told you that you're going to live that far to see that? So, it's almost like you have to maintain a healthy balance of being, being present and happy with where you are today and work towards planning for a better future without getting so stuck too far ahead, but also not staying too stuck in where you are right now. So, again, maintaining that, that happy medium and that balance. Yo, this technology is like not cooperating with me today. Okay, okay. No! <laughs> How can this happen to me twice in one day? Oh Oh my goodness, I need a fan. This is too much. This is too much. Okay, so we're going to do this again. I appreciate y'all for this patience because I'm like, we're trying to get through this webinar. Okay, slideshow from current slide. All right, so we already talked about what's next syndrome. We talked about externalizing happiness. Okay, cheerfulness, well-being, um, happiness is a state of delight and happiness is an active state of joy. This is, these are the words that stood out to me when I looked up the word happiness. Now the lie, the society teaches us about happiness. So I put lie as in the active ingredient in relapsers. <laughs> But lie, um, as far as like being untruthful, is an, intentional, is, is, uh, is an intentionally false statement. So the lies that we learn about happiness are things that are not true. So three lies that we've been taught about happiness <clears throat> is appearance. You have to look a certain way to exude that you are happy or to, to make other people believe that you're doing well in life, which is a big, bold-faced lie. And two things that stood out when, as it relates to natural hair, is that having straight hair, and I guess this is like a demonstration, but having straight hair over kinky hair, because kinky hair will signify something political or having kinky hair or not, wearing your hair in its natural state means that you're like political or rebellious. It's, it's considered a bad thing. And as it relates to appearance, maintaining a neat and clean appearance, making sure that you're tidy. And in the movie, a scene that I can think about is when Violet, was, in, was when she was a little kid and she was at the pool and her mom, so as she's standing at the at the edge of the, of I don't know what to call it, but she's standing over the pool and one of the little boys is like taunting her or like encouraging, not taunting, what was it? Oh, that he was saying he could hold his breath a lot longer than she could. And she's like wanting to jump in the pool and again, be a child as she was. And her mom, like, it's that, that voice in the background, like, don't you do it. And the reason why her mom was telling her not to get in the pool is because she knew that once that water hit her head, it's a wrap. Like, her hair is going to get puffy again. But in Violet's mind is I just want to go in the pool and have fun. So that pressure to be neat and clean because or to look neat and clean and to be tidy so that you can maintain this perception of what you're supposed to look like. And that affected Violet a lot in her life afterwards, because there's another scene in the movie where she's sleeping. She wakes up really early to go brush her hair so that when her, her boo wakes up, he sees her perfectly. Like, why do they do that? Like, why? <laughs> so again, a, a misconception about what happiness is supposed to be and the things that you have to do to, to, to give off that perception. So I just want to read the comments real quick. So Jefflyn said, right, we end up missing great things in life, especially when we have children. Michelle said, or having color in your hair. So what do you mean by having color in your hair? Outside of straightening it. Well, I guess getting in the pool with color may not be the best thing. Um, And then Amanda said, that's definitely a lie because I'm my happiest when I look a mess. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm going to laugh at that later, but... Happiness is whatever you want it to be. So for some people, it's about, you know, looking polished. And for some people, it's, you know what? I rolled out of bed this morning, and I'm just happy that I have a place to lay down and watch Netflix all day. So happiness is, is individual. It really just depends on what you define happiness to be. But I could definitely appreciate that comment, Amanda. <laughs> uh, okay, so lie number two is that you're going to be happy when you reach a certain level in your career, that you're gonna be happy when you, you know, have the corner office or the promotion or said salary, that you're gonna be happy once you reach this certain level of success, whatever that looks like for you. So one of the things that I noticed in the movie is how Violet's identity was heavily tied to work, extremely tied to work. I think that in the book, it does a better job at showing how invested she is at work that she neglects things about her own personal identity outside of this, and everyone in this in this um, webinar probably knows someone who their identity is work. It's like they they live, eat, and breathe work, and that could be detrimental to your mental health and your emotional well being because the reality is that. We don't live in a generation anymore where you graduate from school if you do go to school or just go straight into the workforce where you're working that one job for the next 30, 40 years until you retire. Like the average person is changing jobs every three to five years. So what happens when you're let go from a job where you just decide that you want to have a career change? There's a lot of people that struggle with their identity and don't know what to do with themselves because now when you remove the job, it's almost like, I don't know who I am without this. So... Um, I, my observation in the movie was that Violet's, Violet's identity is heavily tied to her career. Another thing that I noticed, this is one thing. All right. Another thing that I noticed in the movie is um, superwoman syndrome. So by definition, superwoman syndrome means physical, psychological, and that's Ms. Bo, sorry, y'all. Physical, psychological, and interpersonal stress experienced by women who attempt to perform perfectly and this is what Violet was, or at least what she was trying to do in the movie, perfectly um, perform in multiple or conflicting roles. So she had to be the perfect employee because in her presentation, that's exactly how she presented. You know, she knows, she knows everything. She's able to flow. She's able to get the account. She's able to do everything that she needs to do and excel. Um, and then being the perfect girlfriend so that she can get the perfect ring with the perfect guy um, another thing that I noticed as it relates to professional career is marrying professions and not actual people. And this could be a huge, huge, huge hit to you and your emotional being when you want to marry someone based on their profession and not who they are at their core. Now, there was I, was I had a side conversation with my friend, and I think I saw this post online where it says something along the lines of how Black women are conditioned to professional Black women and successful Black women as it relates to the workplace are conditioned to accept partners who make less and partners who who may not have what's considered like traditionally thriving careers. And I, I think that's probably a side conversation to have, but I just kind of want to see in the chats what you all think about the shift in who Violet was dating, um, which was Clint and he was a doctor, and who she... Um, emotionally connected with on a deeper level, which was a male hairstylist in the movie. Now in the book, the storyline doesn't exist. Like there, she doesn't date a man. She doesn't, she doesn't end up with her hairstylist. Like in the book, her hairstylist is a woman. And in in the movie, her hairstylist is a man who she ends up in a relationship with. I think in the book, she like meets some guy while she's out, like in the elevator at work or something. Um, I, don't, I don't remember what he does, but that, the storyline that we see in the book is not what happens in the, in the movie. So to kind of just relate superwoman syndrome to hair loss, stress is real, y'all. Like hair loss is not always, um, you know, I had a bad relaxer or a bad texturizer. Um, and in extreme cases, it's not a medical condition like cancer or alopecia or lupus. Sometimes it could be that, you know, you're trying to do too much and too much could be working three jobs, guilty because I was that, um, maintaining a household, maintaining your career, and then not stopping to take time for yourself, not stopping to, to do the things that bring you joy, not stopping to put yourself first and not other people. So superwoman syndrome is huge. It's really, really big. And it's something that I've noticed that, As Black women, we minimize because we have to be everything. We have to do everything. We have to work twice as hard to get half of what our counterparts get. But in in the process of doing that, we're not taking care of ourselves. And then this is where these severe medical conditions can come, um, like high blood pressure, like hypertension, because we're doing too much. So it's like, have a seat, sis. You don't have to do everything today. You know, something can wait for tomorrow. Okay, let me just read on here because I'm seeing the comments. So Shauna said his happiness with her looks took precedent over her sleep. This is very true. Clint almost expected that. And I would say that, that I think that that's a, a good parallel from the book and the movie. So Michelle says, so I was talking to my white coworker today and I explained to her that she could do purple or pink or blue um, and it'd be cute, fun, et cetera. If I did it, it would be ghetto, ghetto or unprofessional. Well, Michelle said it. And the reality is that it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. But anytime that a Black woman does what's considered fun for her, and it is fun to have purple hair. Like, I have a wig in the back that's Black, At the root, and it's purple ombre, I wouldn't dare wear that to work. But why if, you know, another, a a woman from another race did something fun to her hair? She wouldn't get as much attention as I would if I changed my hairstyle. But that's, that's the world we live in, y'all. So thank you for that, Michelle. Um, Amanda said, yes, that's no bueno. Marrying based on profession I personally always dated someone who made less than myself. Um, Deirdre says, self-care is very important. We as women have to take care of ourselves. And then Amanda said, I know several super women. I mean, I feel like I'm one of them, or at least I, you, I, I am one of them. Um, I'm learning that everything I do does not have to be perfect. And I'm learning that everything doesn't have to be done today. So superwoman syndrome is real. Superwoman syndrome is very real. And a lot of it has to do with pressures that have nothing to do with you because someone taught us that we had to do everything. Someone taught us that things had to be perfect. Someone taught us that we that time waits for no one that, you know, you have to do it first. And there are people out in the world who will help you. There are people out in the world who will be of service to you and who will support you. But those opportunities will never come up if you don't learn how to take a step back and allow the help to come. Okay, and the third lie that... Oh, come on. (laughs) We were doing so well, y'all. I need to delete some stuff because this right here... Oh, Lord. This right here is not the wave. So Jefflyn said, my mother definitely taught me that. And I'm assuming that you're saying she taught you to do everything. Or that you can do everything yourself. So while this is freezing, I'm going to read some more comments and then kind of just share my my response to what Jefflyn says. So Jefflyn mentioned while we are young, we have a procession of what we want and don't want in a man. The car he's going to drive and his profession, that's called to love blooms good and on paper. But real life isn't that simple. It's really not. And then Shauna said, I think in general women are frowned upon um, if they marry unlike, if they marry unlike our our male counterparts. And then Shauna also said to unlearn superwoman or to unlearn superwoman syndrome is hard. It is very hard. I'm still learning to do that. I'm learning to chill. One of the things that I that I can appreciate about living in Atlanta or the South. Because in New York, everything is hustle and bustle. Okay, good. In New York, everything is hustle and bustle. Everything is, you know, I have to get it done. You know, I have to move. In Georgia, the pace is so slow that like you're almost forced to just kind of slow down with the time. And one of the things that I learned with kind of like minimizing and managing superwoman syndrome is that everything doesn't have to be done. So when I learned to take a step back, I allowed other people to step up and one of the things, a perfect example that I can think of. So like, I guess chivalry is not completely dead, but (laughs) I don't rush for the door these days. I really don't. And trust and believe that they're always held open. If there's a man in my presence, I'm not rushing to open the door. It should be held for me. And I believe that now. Three years ago, not so much. It was like, well, I could hold the door myself. I could do everything myself. And that's true. I can do a lot of things by myself, but that doesn't mean that I have to do them. So when we learn to be intentional and mindful that we're doing a lot and just give up one thing a day, give up one thing that you're, that you're gonna allow someone else to support you and assist you in. You're gonna see that support around you is gonna step up, but that's not gonna come up until you take a step back. So we're going to go through this webinar before it freezes again. Like I share, I appreciate y'all for staying because this right here. Okay. So the last lie that we've been taught about happiness from a societal standpoint is marriage and children. And this shows in the movie a lot because Venus talks about, talks a lot about, you know, well, I want to get married, but it's like marriage is not by yourself. (laughs) It requires a whole other person to be on board with this contract. Because when you look at it, in essence, Marriage is a business contract. Marriage is what are we going to do together as a unit to elevate? What are we going to do together as a unit to support our families, to support our legacy, to support our children? Like you don't marry yourself because if that's the case, buy your own ring, plan the wedding by yourself and have fun. You can't push someone else into marriage and, and believe that your life together as a unit is going to be fruitful when this other person is not on board with the same goals that you set out. Um, so when it comes to marriage and children, the lie is that having people to love you is, is is the definition of happiness. Having people that need you is the definition of happiness. And I want to stay on this part a little bit and highlight this because the reality is that, like I shared earlier, like we're all dying. Everyone is going to die one day. Um, And if as a parent, you do what you're supposed to do, the goal is to raise children that are independent of you. The goal is to raise children that are not going to need you in every decision that they make. And at the end, who you have is yourself. So you have to be happy with you alone and only you before you can even begin to explore a relationship, whether that's only dating, before you can even begin to potentially explore marriage, before you can even begin to think that you you can bring a child into this world because the people around you are going to feed off of your energy. So I I believe personally that it is almost better to stay alone and heal those things within yourself first before you start spreading, you know, toxic energy to other people and again, not with intention, but definitely unintentionally because you you rushed into something that was not was not yours to have in that moment. Another lie that we learn about happiness is that Well, as it relates to marriage and children is that it has to happen between, it has to happen within a specific time frame. So to kind of just talk about what's next syndrome, like, you know, you have to be married with at least one kid, like in your late twenties, early thirties. Goodness forbid that like you're 35, 40 and you're not married with children. Like the question then becomes like, well, when is it going to happen? What's wrong? So again, these are misconceptions and lies that we learn from society about happiness. I think that this feels like a good place to stop. (laughs) So listening to the webinar from 2018 as my 2020 self definitely brings back joy. It brings back happiness or different parts of happiness for me. That number one, I'm still doing this. And number two, um, I was definitely very... I guess energetic is the best way to say it. The rest of the of the webinar that I did not add to this podcast that made me smile. I'm like smiling really, really big right now, and part of it is because the part that I did not include in this podcast episode from the 2018 webinar is that I initially had a book collaboration project that was supposed to launch in 2019. What happened with that? I have no idea, but it did definitely plant a seed. Rehearing that for something that I could potentially do in the future. By um gathering all of the stories of our sisters that have experienced I don't want to say hardship per se, but just things that have happened throughout their natural hair journey to make this process relatable because it's one of the thing it's one thing to hear these stories from me. And then there's one thing to hear it from people that are not me so that the message drives home. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode just as much as I enjoy. Kind of taking a step back into time and just hearing this webinar again. um, Another thing that I also wanted to share before I go is that after this, after that that webinar presentation, what one of the things that I did was that I was able to interview um, women with natural hair. And this is from all ranges and all different textures, um, locks included. I'm going to try to find where those recordings are, and these could potentially be, or that will potentially be future podcast episodes so that you all hear more than just my voice. <laughs> and if you like to be a guest, then that's something that I'm also open to doing in the future as well. I hope that you enjoyed this episode, like I said, just as much as I did re-listening to the webinar information. And we'll chat soon. Bye.